Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we're celebrating our favorite films and discoveries of 2017. Plus, you're invited to the most prestigious party you'll ever find in the War Bunker. It's the third annual Blimpy Awards Ceremony. But first... Hey, Jake. Hey, Chris. So we are uh, looking back, closing out 2017, finally here on the show. Uh, and I, I got a couple of questions for you, both looking back and looking forward. Um, so let me let me just lay them out for you, see what you have to say. Uh, firstly, 2017 in cinema was a year of blank. Okay, 2017 in cinema was a Star War. Now, not just because we got a new Star Wars movie in 2017, but also because all of Hollywood kind of started turning in on itself and starting to 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 kind of go to war internally with uh, the the status quo. And not that that's not what needs to happen, but it definitely was a very uh, tumultuous year uh, where you saw a lot of things upended and a lot of people who you maybe previously respected be uh, outed as not so good of a guy. So uh, it, it was definitely, definitely a combative year. Yeah, I, I don't think I can even really compete with, uh, with that one. That's, I mean, we're, it, it definitely felt like a year in flux. Um, hopefully, you know, for, for the better. And it's, uh, wow. I, so I, I'm actually, I'm going to go, instead of trying to put a label on, on the year as a whole from kind of the broad perspective, I'm going to go very personal. And I'm going to say 2017 in cinema was a year of John Carpenter. Um, The, the Carpenter shop for me is of everything that uh, we kind of did on the show and that I, that I watched was probably the most rewarding thing um, I did in with, with film last year was sort of uh, diving really deep into John Carpenter's work and uh, getting, I mean, really those films that I hadn't seen before, you know, like, uh, like Dark Star or like In the Mouth of Madness, um, really getting to uh, go go deep and do some research in them and and just fall in love with John Carpenter's work again and 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 even more um, was great and really rewarding. Yeah, and 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 personally, that's I didn't have a lot of time to watch all the movies I wanted to watch this year, um, but I, I watched a lot of John Carpenter and and it is very re- rewarding going into one director's uh, work. And and seeing how they grow and the choices they make and I, I I agree with you. It's it's been it's been a whole lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to uh, the stuff that we're diving into this year. Yeah, as well. Me too. Which brings me to my next question, which is 2018 in cinema will be a year of blank. Okay, so 2017 in cinema was a Star War. 2018 in cinema will be a New Hope. So what? what I'm hoping is all the things that happened last year actually make some changes this year. And we don't just revert or sweep everything under the rug, but also 2018 could bring any number of great films. And, and that's really what we want to see. Any year could end up being the next 2007 or 1973, where you just have a, a, a plethora of great movies come out and, and it always could be next year and it always could be this year. It could always be 2018. And so that that's what I'm hoping. I, I, 2018 is a new hope. I like that. That's a very optimistic uh, outlook coming off of a, a more dour uh, look back. That's 
That's good. I'm I'm gonna go once again uh personal for mine since you like I think I think you've nailed uh sort of broad view. Uh I'm gonna say twenty eighteen in cinema will be the year that we finally discuss a Wes Anderson film on War Starts at Midnight. Ooh. You don't know how happy that makes me. It's weird that we haven't talked about one yet, but we don't have any war crimes from a Wes Anderson film. And yeah. and and he doesn't put out that many. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I am too. And you know, 2018 marks the 20th anniversary of Rushmore, so maybe we find a place to uh, squeeze that in somewhere as well. I mean, Isle of Dogs comes out March 23rd, so maybe we maybe we do something uh, leading up to Isle of Dogs or something. Talking about uh, talking about Rushmore retrospective review. Um, I think that could be fun. We'll see what happens. Or someone can explain to me why they think Darjeeling Limited sucks, and I can tell them why they're wrong. Oh man! If anyone, if anyone would like to uh, kick that off, email us at hello or starts at midnight dot com. Subject line: I'm wrong about the Darjeeling Limited, and uh... <laughs> and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I would I'd be I'd be totally fine with with having a little segment on uh, you defending it and and just a little a little back and forth debate. <laughs> I love that movie. Okay, that that's that is a that is a topic for the future. Uh, but we're gonna do be doing a little more looking back at the past. Stay with us, folks, because right after the break, we're gonna be talking about our favorite films from 2017. Congratulations on another successful year of the War Starts at Midnight podcast. This is Peterson Hill ringing in from the icy tundra of Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm calling a couple things. So from 2017, the movies I really urge people to see, we've got War of the Planet of the Apes, Lost City of Z, Dunkirk, all great movies. But I think the movie that most people aren't probably going to know or have sought out is Koganata's Columbus. It's like Ingmar Bergman and Richard Linklater had this spiritual baby, and it is a must-see. But a war crime that I caught up on, so I caught up on a few, so The Friends of Eddie Coyle, as well as uh, The Shop Around the Corner from Ernst Lubitsch. But the movie that I think really stands apart for me was a reconnection with Kurosawa's Akiru. It's a movie that I'd seen several times before, but it had been about 10 or 15 years, and Akiru really kind of knocked me for a loop again. It's a movie about not just life, but about really the unexamined life and not understanding the effect that you've had on people and then coming to realize that way too late in one's life. 
And it is a movie that I think if people have not seen it, they really need to, because I hadn't seen it certainly since at least college. And it came and really knocked me for a loop. So again, that's Akiru by Akira Kurosawa. And keep up the good work, guys. I hope to talk to you soon in 2018. Friend of the show, Peterson Hill there, calling in with his favorite film and favorite discovery of 2017. And that's a great way to kick off this segment because in the spirit of the show, uh, these aren't going to be your typical top 10 of the year lists. We've mixed up uh, new films from last year with discoveries, war crimes that we just caught up with for the first time last year. I personally have five and five, five new films, five older films, and I didn't even rank mine. I'm just going to go down through them alphabetically. Uh, Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you approached your list? Uh, I, I just... It's not the best movies I saw because I had some rewatches of some really good movies. And I, I, I did include one rewatch here, but we'll talk about it later. I just put movies I really liked. That's pretty much what I went on. And they are in just a random order, whatever order they came out of my head. Okay, well, then let's uh, let's start with your first random, randomly selected film. So this one I watched early in the year, and I've probably talked about it five times on the podcast already, but it was one of the best movies I watched last year. I rewatched it a couple times. It's Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. <laughs> I I wasn't even looking at your list, and I knew exactly where this was going. Yeah how how could how could it how could it not? I, sometimes you like a movie enough, and it just strikes you the right way. Uh, technically, it's from 2016, but that doesn't matter here. This this is the one that, in my opinion, if you're going to go and seek one out and all you saw was kind of the big movies of the year or whatever, go back and find this one and watch it. It's definitely worth it. Oh, yeah. Ton of fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and we've talked about it. Very on, quotable. On, we've talked about it on the podcast a few times. Um, it's it's super watchable, super quotable. Um, just to like... It's so good. My my favorite quote from this movie that I use sometimes. So the 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 baseball players are walking around the college and they uh, see some other people and they go. I, uh, they, their catcher goes, "I know what we're doing here, but what are these other people doing here?" And I love that, and I'll say that when we're at places sometimes. Just like I know what we're doing here. What's everybody else doing here? Except you need to sound like like much much more of a stoner. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Definitely can't say it in my voice and have the quote work. <laughs> All right, what you got, Chris? Uh, my first film is going to be straight out of the bat a war crime that I caught up with, and that is Martin Scorsese's *The Age of Innocence* from 1993. Uh, mm-hmm. This this film stars uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Day Lewis, and uh, it was so at the beginning of 2017, I went through and finally completed. I had a handful of films from from Scorsese. Uh, this included as well as uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door and King of Comedy and a few others that I hadn't seen. I wanted to complete his narrative filmography. And uh, these were sort of the films that I felt like were more the vegetables or more the outliers or that sort of thing. Um, and I I mean, King of Comedy could be right up here as well. I just happened to select Age of Innocence because it's I think it's the one that's bored itself into my brain more. And I'm, I'm just amazed at how it feels and looks like nothing else Scorsese um, has ever made, but it also feels so perfectly like personally Scorsese in a completely different way than most of the films that we associate with him. You know, the the good fellas, the mean streets, the departed, the, you know, his gangster sort of films, this 
feels more like the cinephile Scorsese. Um, you know, it, it feels like it's oozing with this lustrous decadent, uh, charm, um, of, of something between like a Visconti film and an Ophel's film, you know, like, uh, period drama, uh, horse drawn carriages, early New York. Um, so it's, I mean, it, in a weird way, it, it fits into Scorsese's oeuvre, but from a completely different vantage point. And it, uh, I know, I know you're not a huge fan of this, uh, film Jake. Yeah, I saw it ten years ago, and it just didn't stick with me that way. I I would I would really recommend a rewatch. It blew me away. And and you pretty much convinced me. For me, I would I would have been king of comedy all the way. That's an underrated underrated film. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. Like I said, I just this just happened to be the one that like mm-hmm. it stuck with me a little bit more. They're both outstanding. Um, and there's a there's a Criterion Blu-ray coming out this year. So, uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe you pick it up at the the next uh, half off sale and and give it a rewatch. I would I would say it's a blind buy. I'm gonna definitely pick it up uh, when when it comes out. All right. What uh What about you? What's your next one? Your next randomly selected uh, film. So next, I went with the documentary. Uh, I, I, it's a it was a weird one. I don't I think I enjoyed it. It's definitely must must see. Uh, did Did you watch uh, Jim and Andy? Oh yeah, it's an experience. Yeah, it's it's it it made the list because it's something you really got to go and watch. And I, Jim Carrey's crazy now. Oh yeah, my like my my review on Letterboxd was I think we're about ten years away from Jim Carrey going uh, full Randy Quaid. It's, I'm <laughs> yeah, concerned. I, I, and I've seen, I've seen I saw him on Norm Macdonald live, and I didn't know if he was just particularly high that day or something or that. Nope, no. nope, that's him. And and if if you this is a documentary about the making of a uh, Man in the Moon where Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman, um, and Tony Clifton, and contractually obligated appearance by Tony Clifton, <laughs> um, but it's he really got into character, man. Yeah, and it's it's weird. It's. Uh unsettling we might we might talk a little more about this film later on in the show that's all i'll say right now all right all right well i'll leave it at that what what do you have next chris uh up next i've got a cheat but i think it's valid because it is a trilogy and this is another this is a a series of war crimes uh this is the decline of western civilization documentary trilogy so i i were simpatico here we both got uh we both got documentaries Mm -hmm. at our at our second place um these films were directed by uh penelope spheris who you may know from like wayne's world um, or yeah um but uh so the first one which is just called the decline of western civilization came out in 1981 and it's about the la punk scene of the time um and it's really it's really interesting really a a raw verite sort of um, sort of film. The thing that that's, I think really works with all of these is she is entering a lot of times a very male centric macho sort of place and talking to these uh, a lot of times young men. And she just sort of allows them sort of like, like Errol Morris will sometimes by just being silent allows them to kind of just, hang themselves in, in their, uh, hypocrisy or their, and it's not, you know, it's, it's not an indictment of, of these people. It's very, she approaches each of these, these films from a very human standpoint, but she gets, she gets very interesting, 
uh, sound bites out of people that I think just a normal interviewer may not. It almost feels like a cultural like document. Just it, 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 it really is. So, so then in 1988, she made part two, which is called the metal years, which feels dramatically different from, so if, if the first one is like super verite and rough, the metal years is made to feel sort of glitzy and glamorous, like all of these butt rockers who, um, you know, are, uh, like, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember because I'm not a, I'm not a metalhead. I'm not a, one of the guys from kiss she interviews and he's like the, the camera is up high looking down and he's laying in a bed with like four or five models in lingerie the in, through the entire interview. Um, there's another guy who's progress, progressively getting drunker and drunker on like a floaty in the middle of his pool and gets really like emotional and, and it gets, gets to some amazing uh, places. Ozzy Osbourne is just making breakfast the entire time. Um, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And, and it, but once again, she allows for, so for like the punks, it's sort of, there's, there's a lot of misogyny in, in the, in the scene. And she kind of allows, uh, those guys to just say things that like Pat smear who, uh, you know, he was in the germs and now he's in the Foo fighters. And he's always been the type of guy that you just look at him. You're like, I don't want my daughter anywhere around that guy. <laughs> um, and then seeing him as like a, like a 17, 18 year old kid saying something, it's like, Oh no, I was right about that, about that here. Um, <laughs> there, because there's so much bravado in the metal culture. Um, these guys are just saying things that are outlandish and ridiculous and they don't realize how stupid they sound to uh, an outsider, I guess. And so there's there's sort of this double uh, this double talk going on a little bit with it that that's really interesting. And then the the third one uh, from ten years later, 1998, part three. Uh, this one is probably the saddest and also maybe the most like eerie. It's it's back to the more verite style. It's about uh, these gutter punks, basically these homeless, these, this group of homeless kids living in LA, um, in, in the late nineties. And so it's sort of a look back at where the punk scene has gone, but then also, uh, more, instead of looking at the musicians, more looking at the community. And, um, it's, it's really good. It's really sad. Um, it's really, uh, like it's, if you don't tear up a little bit, there's, there's probably something, something wrong with you. It's, I, I didn't know that like going into it and especially coming out of the metal years, I didn't know that I was going to be like affected that much by, uh, uh, by, by this third film. It's probably the best of the bunch. Uh, I would say also the heaviest. So is it time for a part four? I, yeah, I, I've actually, I I've been Googling a lot. Like it is time for a part four. I think, I don't know what it is exactly, but I, I would love to see a part four, whatever, whatever, uh, Penelope spheres like finds. I'm, I'm totally cool with, with, with seeing it. I I'm, I'd be fascinated if she just does this for, you know, the end of time. So I, I've, I've really only seen part two and I caught it on TV a long time ago. Uh-huh. And I just remember seeing the title, the decline of Western civilization, part two, the metal years. And I, I truly thought there was not a first movie. I thought it was just <laughs> called the decline of Western civilization, part two, the metal years. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, like the first one was just the fall of Rome. And the second one is metal. 
I'm, I'm kind of, I, I kind of apologize for bursting your bubble because that's amazing. Uh, but these, and these are, because these are older films. Uh, I saw them on Fandor. I don't think they're on there anymore now, but, uh, one and three are on stars, Tubi TV, Filmstruck, and Sundance. And then the second one, I imagine maybe for licensing reasons or something, is on Stars, Tubi TV, and Sundance now, but not on Filmstruck. Uh, so if, if you have if you have Filmstruck, you can watch kind of the, the two bookends that those are those are definitely the most closely related. The Metal Years is totally its own thing. Um, sorry, that was that was long winded. Jake, what do you have next? <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> this probably will not take as long. I went with the genre picture that I watched, uh, probably the funniest movie I watched this year. And that is, uh, 2016's Keanu. Oh, Keanu's with, great. Yeah. With Keen Peel. Um, so then this may not be the only appearance of, uh, Jordan Peel on this list either, but I, I really, really enjoyed what this movie did. I watched it twice, brought other people in the second time. We all laughed at it. We quote it. And I, I just really enjoy a good comedy. And this was, this was the best one I saw this year. So it has to make my list. Yeah. It's, it's one of those that could be like, it could easily be like a meet the Spartans or like a, you know, one of those where it's like Mm -hmm. this, this premise is too sweaty. This premise is just too like (laughs) dumb, but uh no they they sell it so well and it and they know what they're doing with like mm-hmm. riffing on much like you know what you like about Edgar Wright like they're riffing on a genre super well yeah and the i just think the jokes are good and the 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 set or the uh, the premises are all really good and i think that if i were 17 or 18 when i had seen it if this were high school i don't know if i would have thought it was like an anchor man level thing but it would have been one of the things that we would have quoted on on repeat forever yeah for sure for sure what about what about you chris what do you have up next okay up next coming in at uh, i guess my third pick here is a ghost story directed by david lowry um, and I, I didn't see Pete's Dragon. I did see Anthem Body Saints. I was not a very big fan of Anthem Body Saints, but this movie really blew me away. It's, it's a pretty small, uh, story about, uh, kind of, it's mostly just about a relationship between Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. Uh, spoilers, one of them turns into a ghost. And, um, no, and when why I, why would you ruin a movie for me? And when I say a ghost, I, I mean, I mean like a sheet over the head with two eye holes sort of a ghost. Are there glasses on the outside of the sheet? There's not, there's not glasses on the outside of the sheet. No, it's not the shape. Um, but, but that sort of ghost. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, this movie, this movie really hit me, um, hit me hard. Actually, a, a friend of mine on my recommendation watched it and he kind of summed it up perfectly. He said, I was expecting a Piscine, which I don't know if you've heard about the Piscine, but Piscine, it's, it's one of the more no- notorious parts of this film. And I was expecting an over-explaining hipster man. What I was not expecting was an existential crisis. Hmm. Uh, that, that's my buddy Cody Gibbs, uh, which is which is an accurate. This is on this is on Amazon Prime right now, so I would recommend watching it. Uh, but it's it's a small little film. It's not. It doesn't try to be too big, but then at the same time, it encompasses all of time in a way that uh, most. I, I guess in a way that it's sort of Malicky. Is, is it a horror film? No, it's not a horror film. I would say it's a love story. Um, okay. And it's, uh, you know, a- Ain't Them Body Saints felt like a Malick ripoff. From what I understand, David Lowry was actually trying to rip off David Gordon Green's early work. 
Um, so a a copy of a copy. No, I was trying to rip off a different director. Well, and and David Gordon Green's early stuff definitely feel has that lyrical uh, quality of of Malick, but this feels like a much more mature story in in his. It doesn't feel like he's just saying these are the things that influence me that I love, but finding his own voice. Um, much more here. And and also I'd be remiss if I didn't point out shot by Andrew Droz Palermo, who is one of my, one of my favorite DPs. Um, he co-directed Rich Hill, which is an early film that we, we reviewed on the, the show, which uh, I, I have so much love for maybe the prettiest film of, of all of 2017 for me. Um, just utterly gorgeous. And um yeah, it's it's a it's a small little film, uh, and it might be it might be a little too slow and a little too like languid for you. But if you get on its level emotionally, it's it's going to destroy you. I think uh, in a great way. Hmm. Well, I'll have to uh, I'll have to catch it, especially if it's streaming. It's hard not to not to watch a great film when it's just streaming. Yeah, add it add it to your Amazon queue. Uh, put it on sometime. I I don't think this is one that you're. Uh, your fiance will get mad for me recommending my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you, what do you got up next? Uh, this is one we reviewed on the show, so we don't have to go into too much on it, but this is the, uh, Meyerowitz stories. New um, and selected. New and selected. Yes. Uh, from, uh, not, not too long ago, straight to Netflix. Uh, you can still stream it there. Uh, just just a really good movie, but you can catch the episode to hear everything we thought about it. Has this one stuck with you? I know it's been a little while now. It hasn't stuck with me as much as other Bombeck films. I really enjoyed it, but it it hasn't been one that um like there 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 are little moments, but on the whole, no. I I do want to I do want to go back and revisit it because I do think generally his films offer a lot to dig into uh, beyond that first viewing. So I'm I'm still intrigued to to watch it again. I, I hope they do because this made me go and watch uh, while we're young. Mm-hmm. Did not enjoy that. While we're young is maybe other other than the weird one with Peter Bogdanovich that was shot on video. While we're young is or maybe it was sixteen uh, is probably my least favorite. It's and that's not like no. I take that back. Margot at the wedding. I for, I forget that one exists. Yeah. Um. But of his recent ones, definitely not. Not a, like you. Have you seen? Uh, no, yeah, you've seen the Ger- the Gerwig stuff. So you've seen Mistress yeah. America. Because yeah. yeah, I love Mistress America. America. I thought yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Screwball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. No, I I liked it. It it is definitely it's it's probably at the middle of my like of the year on the whole list. I liked it. I don't have many things to complain about, uh, but it just didn't it didn't stick with me. Speaking of Mistress America, um, every time I talk about Greta Gerwig to my fiance, mm-hmm. uh, every time I talk about Greta Gerwig, I say she she's the one we watched Mistress America. She goes, "What was Mistress America?" It's the one where she makes the pitch at the end for the restaurant, and the dude's like, "Yeah, that's a good idea," and I'll get you know that whole thing. Uh, uh-huh. And I have to go through that every time I talk about Greta Gerwig, <laughs> <laughs> to the point where uh, I was I was telling her about Lady Bird. And I said, and it's directed by, do you remember Mr. She's like, I remember Mistress America. I remember it. It's the one with the restaurant pitch. I got it. I said, okay, okay. That girl. Well, maybe soon you can just say uh, Academy Award winning director Greta Gerwig. Fingers crossed. Well, more on that later. What do you have up next, Chris? Up next in alphabetical order, I've got Good Time. This is directed by the Safdie brothers, uh, Ben and Joshua. 
Uh, and this is probably my favorite movie of 2017. Um, it's, I, I've been describing it and I love everyone who, um, who I've heard describe it, read, describe it has a completely different, it's X meets Y. Like it's, it's, everyone has a mashup. Mine happens to be, it's the killing of a Chinese bookie meets spring breakers. And hmm. it, it has like, there is an amazing intensity to it an amazing immediacy to it. Um, shot on 35 millimeter has this really gritty, uh, uh, intimate feel, which, uh, is sort of both the, the killing of a Chinese bookie and spring breakers of it all. Um, but, uh, the, it's, it's sort of the small little crime drama, but it's not about, it's not really about plot. Um, it's about character and character, uh, motivation and Robert Pattinson plays, uh, plays this guy who he convinces his, his brother, who's perhaps a little slow to rob a bank with him. And it immediately goes wrong. And his brother, um, ends up in the hospital and he spends the rest of the, the film trying to get him out of the hospital and trying to just stay away from, from the police. And basically he, he lives one moment to the next in, in everything that he's doing. And so it's, it has this manic immediacy to it. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee has, has a part in it. She's amazing. Um, and then, uh, Talia Webster plays this, this girl crystal is, is just amazing. I don't know if she's done anything before. I don't know if she's, um, she could be a non-actor. I have no idea. Um, really, really wonderful, really brilliant performances and presentation. And I was like, I was legitimately at the edge of my seat in the theater throughout almost this entire thing. It's, uh, it's not the, it's not the type of movie where you go in expecting like, Oh, I, okay. It's going to be a crime drama. And it's like, you just kind of go where it goes and you allow it to take you down these, these crazy avenues, this manic, uh, sort of uh, candy-colored, gritty, dirty uh, night world of of New York. It's uh, it's beautiful and exciting, and um, I it's one that I have been been unable to uh, get out of my mind since seeing it. Very interesting. Is there anywhere I can watch it yet? It's an A twenty four release. It has not shown up on you know streaming anywhere. You can rent it. Um, but uh no i i imagine it's got to like my money would be on amazon prime um i like it just feels like the type of movie that'll show up there you know eventually so mm-hmm. uh but i i recommend renting it cold um also it's it's worth it it's it's wonderful it's funny you mentioned uh spring breakers because that is a movie that is on my list for this year oh well tell me about spring breakers uh so I caught it for the first time. I just saw it was streaming. I wanted something to watch. I wanted something that wasn't too long, wasn't too heavy. Uh, I was wrong about it not being too heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, this was a movie, a, a, a very, very unique movie. Way more than unique than I expected mm-hmm. for a, a Selena Gomez movie, But uh, <laughs> which is the worst way to describe that ever. It, it stuck in my head for a couple weeks after just you know going over it again. Like, what happened? Where where did they are they bad people? Are they did, did was it and so I just played it over and over in my head. So it's it's got to make this list. Uh it's from 2012, but I saw it for the first time. What did you think of Spring Breakers, Chris? 
Uh, I loved it. I don't remember exactly where it landed on my 2012 list, but it was on there. Um, White Trash Tal- Terrence Malick is how I always like yeah, my, my it, first it description. Heavy, heavy Terrence Malick in there. Uh, just the way it, it kind of, it just floated along the story. Yeah. It's, it's the type of type of movie that could be really gross and dirty and wrong. And I think it has the right approach to not go beyond, um, like, I mean, one thing is with Harmony Korine, you just never know what you're getting yourself into. Um, mm-hmm. he's kind of one of those directors like Lars von Trier, where it's like, do I want to go on this ride with you or not? I don't know. <laughs> um, but here I, I think he actually, you know, he's, he's really, it's a morality play. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's asking pretty tough questions and not like, he's not just reveling in like, Oh look, it's spring break and there's boobs and there's, there's consequences to everything. And, uh, no, I, I love spring breakers. It's, it can be a tough sit. Um, but I think it's really good and it's got a lot to chew on. It, it It's a topless fable. That's, it's that's pretty much. Fable. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> did any did any topless fables make your list chris <laughs> i don't think i've got any topless fables uh but coming up next alphabetically i've got in the mouth of madness from 1994 uh you can go back to our i think episode three of the carpenter shop if you want to hear me gush on it um all i'll say here is this is a film that i was not expecting much from going in seeing just seeing that it's john carpenter from from the mid 90s i knew that you know, his reputation had, you know, began to peter by then and it had a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, there's okay, we'll, we'll give this a whirl. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, hey, in the hey, mouth of madness is, Hey Chris, that's on my list too. Good. Let's talk about it. Tell me, yes. you, you tell me a little bit about it. I, I, I will, I will tell you this. You, sometimes the reputation of movies just are so it's so wrong yeah and and how do you think john carpenter feels making a movie that we now think is great but just had to go through like i made a bomb and and you know my career is gonna go down because of it because and i'm not gonna get to make more movies but i'm happy with what i made and then eventually some kids with a podcast find it and we're like this movie's great i mean you, that's kind of his entire career though do, i mean that's like you, the do you thing think it brings the thing joy is- to, to like that long that far down the line to to have somebody appreciate it, I hope so. I mean, I've seen I, I've seen more than more than a couple uh, interviews when I was doing some research on it of of people kind of bringing it up with with him and with Sandy King of like, hey, this is a movie that like everyone seemed to hate when it came out. There's a huge fan base. It's it's really revered, and like their general response is sort of like, well, we knew that was coming eventually. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it makes me wonder if I'm going to get to Ghost of Mars and be like, you know what, Ghost of Mars, that's no, not going to happen. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, I know at least one person who is a huge fan of Ghost of Mars, so we'll see what happens. It might end up being three people by the time we review it. <laughs> but yeah, if you haven't seen In, In the Mallet Madness, definitely find it. It should not be hard to find it. Um, I mean, you're just going to have to buy it from like a $5 bin somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, and even like the Blu-ray is fairly cheap. The Blu-ray is like twelve bucks. I bought it, and I'm glad I did because I'm gonna be popping it in there again. I- I've rewatched parts of it already. It's 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 just a, it's it's a it's a masterpiece that just didn't get get its appreciation. Absolute masterpiece. Um, which segues nicely to uh, probably my most divisive pick 
on on my entire list, which is, uh, I would say, a masterpiece in a very weird way. Uh, but most people, critics and audiences alike, uh, would say otherwise. And that's King Arthur, colon, Legend of the Sword, directed by Guy Ritchie. Uh, Are we this, doing joke picks? We do- no, we're not doing joke picks. This is, I love this movie, Jake. I rewatched this movie recently and I loved it even more the second time. Is, I think is this you, your rules don't apply for this year? This is definitely my rules don't apply for this year, <laughs> um, which I think I told you coming out of the theater. Um, you, you, you did. And I never watched it and I feel bad now. Oh, it's on, it's on the voodoo library. You should watch it. It's also <sighs> on HBO. Um, so you can watch it. there cropped if you want. Uh, this, this stars Charlie Hunnam, who's having the time of his life. Jude Law, who is just chewing all of the scenery in the world as <laughs> as uh, his his bad guy uncle. And then Eric Bana, for some reason, as Charlie Hunnam's uh, father for like three scenes. And this is and this is a movie that like it had a really troubled production. And Guy Ritchie came in last minute and it feels like three or four movies taped together. Um, the parts, but the parts that are purely Richie are so fun and entertaining and well executed. Even if like, I mean, a lot of the criticism is like, oh, I've, this is, this movie didn't need to happen. I agree. This movie didn't need to happen, but since it did happen, I'm glad that Guy Ritchie was the one that, that made it happen. Uh, the Daniel Pemberton score is also incredible. Um, really, really great stuff. It's, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Guy Ritchie is one of those directors that gets a lot of crap. Luckily, he still keeps making films, at least for, for now. Um, he's supposed to be making Aladdin. So I hope, I hope that still happens, the live action version. But I think he's the type of director that in like 20 years, we're all going to look back on him. I, and not to say that he is on the level of Hitchcock, but we're going to look back on his craft in the same way that Hitchcock was reassessed in like, he's not just a dude making genre movies, but his, he is a real auteur that has a real thumbprint and voice. And he's the only type of person that can make the types of movies that he is making in the way that he does. I honestly believe that about Guy Ritchie. Um, this might be the most blasphemous thing that, uh, that I say on this entire episode, but, uh, I recommend watching King Arthur Legend of the Sword. <laughs> and if, if like the first 12 minutes, you're like, oh my God, what is like, you can honestly, you can skip the first like 10, 11, 12 minutes, whatever, like the opening battle is with the giant elephants and Eric Bana. And unless you want to see, uh, unless you want to see Jude Law sacrifice his wife to like a weird squid monster lady. Um, it's, it's all over the place. And, but when it's working, it works so well. So, um, so are, are you saying that we could do the Guy Ritchie podcast after we're done with um, John Carpenter? <laughs> That's what it sounded the, like you were describing him in a lot of the same terms, like career getting reassessed. Interesting. Um, it might be too soon, but I I would entertain it as well. There's I've definitely there's some some stuff in the middle. I like I've never seen Swept Away or Revolver or the Sherlock Holmes film, so uh, there would be some stuff to discover. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, but I, I will say like watching the first time and then rewatching legend of the sword, um, really immediately after I was like, maybe I need to watch those King Arthur movies or I'm sorry. Those, those, uh, those Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes movies. Uh, maybe I need to need to look into those. Cause I, I'd only ever seen them like TNT or whatever. And it just yeah. wasn't my thing. And mm-hmm. it was also at the height of like the overdone speed rampy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that whole thing. Um, so maybe, maybe one of these days I will, uh, 
I will get to those. But no, device of choice, I'm sure. But oh god, I love me some King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. <laughs> what's uh, what's up next on your rando list? M- mine is the least device of choice. This is making everybody's list. You remember the? Uh, you remember Mistress America, the one where the girl at the end she pitches the restaurant to the guy? Yeah, yeah, I remember. You remember that one. The girl from that. Uh, uh-huh. she that's Greta Gerwig. She directed uh-huh. a movie called Ladybird. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you see Ladybird? Yeah, I saw Ladybird. Yeah, I saw Ladybird too. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, I liked Ladybird. I, you know, it's it's a weird thing because I feel like I really liked Ladybird and I liked it a lot less than basically everyone else. If that makes any <laughs> sense, like I, I. I liked it a lot. I adored it. I just, it just didn't sort of like Meyerowitz stories didn't stick with me this year in the same way that some other films did to to me. I mean, I saw it recently, uh, like three hours ago, (laughs) but to me, it it was one of the most honest portrayals of like a coming of age story. Um, yeah. And especially for a a girl, I don't know what that's like, but it, um, but it felt like a really, really honest story. Well, and and I think the fact that she gives Laurie Metcalf the time as as the mother mm-hmm. to be a fully fleshed out character as well, that's really nice. Um, Nearly which everybody is, on there is treated with a lot, a lot of care to be a fleshed out character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I have basically nothing bad to say about this movie. I think it is hella tight. And um, <laughs> if, if for some reason you haven't seen it yet, do see it. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I I waited too late. I didn't want to miss it in the on the big screen, and I'm I'm really glad I went and seen it. And I hope that when I buy the Cinemark uh, Oscar Week pack to go and see all the ones that I missed, that that this is playing again, and I'll probably I'll probably go to it one more time. Yeah, because uh because I really enjoyed it, and uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what she does next. No, I am too, and uh, I would I would love it if uh, her and Saoirse Ronan kind of start a, a thing together like that's there's nothing that would be more delightful than that i think and, and can, can she play ladybird in in all the movies oh uh, like like the antoine Dwinelle yes. universe of of ladybird oh i would watch that i would too she's in new york now she's got a lot of story ahead of her yeah i have i told you my my theory i guess i haven't because you hadn't seen it yet i i kind of have this theory that brooke from mistress america is ladybird uh several years later I could, I could, I could a hundred percent see that. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't totally connect, but there are definitely some, some tendrils that, that connect those two. What one was Mistress America? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry. All about right. What it. you got? What you got, Chris? Well, I've got another, uh, somewhat odd pick. This is a, uh, film from 1943 and it, uh, is a 14 minute experimental short. Uh, directed by Maya Darren, and it's called Meshes of the Afternoon. Um, this is available on Fandor. I watched it on Fandor. I went through a phase early last year as uh, you know, we had a newborn, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to watch much, where I was watching a lot of short films because I figured, oh, I can get in, you know, seven to 15 minutes, you know, here and there. And this one really just transfixed me. Um, and just from so many vantage points from the, from the fact that I still can't like looking at, looking at this date again, I can't believe it was made in 1943. It feels so advanced in the editing and the approach and the, like it's, it's a beautifully wonderful little fever dream. Um, 
Is it, is it black and white color, Technicolor? Oh yeah, yeah, black and black and white, really low budget. Um, okay, I mean, it, all of all of Maya Dern's stuff that uh, that I've seen at least um, is you know low budget, black and white, probably sixteen millimeter. I would I would guess, uh, and and fairly short. I mean, anywhere between seven and like twenty minutes. Um, I I don't I don't think she ever made a feature, but it's all it's all experimental stuff, and um. It's very, I, I don't, I don't even want to try to describe it. I just go out and, and, and find it. If you have Fandor, watch it on there. I think it's also in public domain. So I think you can find it on archive.com or uh, YouTube as well. Um, it's uh, just let it, just let it envelop you. I, I've had this idea since watching it that I, I would love to, to try to take the elements of it and make like, a, a music video out of it. I think, I think oh. that would be a whole lot of fun just as, as a, uh, as an exercise. Uh, cause there's a lot to, there's, there's a whole lot to play with, um, in it, but yeah, measures of the afternoon, um, can't recommend it enough. Uh, and you've, it, it's 15 minutes of your time. Watch it. And when somebody asks you, why do you listen to war starts at midnight? It's <laughs> a fine answer is because in the best of 2017 list, there was a 14-minute short film from 1943. That's an acceptable answer. <laughs> All right, Jake. Well, uh, what bizarre little uh, pick do you have up next? Uh, this is probably my number one favorite film of the year, and it is Get Out. It's the first film of 2017 that I saw, uh, and it's and it stayed right there. Stayed at the top of the list all year, wire to wire. Wow, that's pretty rare. Uh, it, it is, and I went back and rewatched most of it last week. And still love it. Still, so it's got so much going on in there. Uh, I, I see it. It did not make your top ten because we're past it alphabetically. Just didn't stick with you. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like Lady Bird, kind of like Meyerowitz stories. It's one I I liked it, and I mean, I think even going back to episode sixty one where we talked about it, I was a little, uh, I wasn't quite as high on it as as you were, and mm-hmm. I haven't revisited it. Um, I I would like to to see if it, it grows on me. I I I think it will. Um, I I mean it's very good. I think it's a, a wonderful, all near immaculate, um, uh, first directorial debut. Um, and it's it's saying a lot. And there's I mean nothing that nothing that I can I can add to the conversation that hasn't already been said in you know a thousand pieces. But uh. Yeah, I, I would say you know go back and listen to to my what I had to say in episode sixty one. It's uh it's it's great. I really liked it. I'm just a little more tempered uh, than than you were on it. Yeah, no, I'm still completely on fire for it. Go and and hear my 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 fresh rants then, and and you could tweet at me if I'm just completely wrong and need to go watch it. You know, beginning to end again. But uh, but no, it stays right there. Another directorial debut. I'm hoping the Academy maybe. Thinks about it long and hard, throws a throws something its way because I, I I do think it's deserving. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> best comedy of the year. Best best comedy of the year. What you got next, Chris? Up next, I have The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Doug Jones, Octavia Spencer, and Michael Stuhlberg. Uh, this is a film that I just recently, maybe a couple weeks ago finally finally got to see and um i love guillermo del toro i've seen i think everything but i I mean i've seen blade 2 but it's been it's been a while and i don't think i've ever caught it not on cable 
but everything else, like, I don't know. He's one of those, he's one of those directors that every time I catch a new film from him, I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I love Guillermo del Toro. And this is honestly maybe his best. Um, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's so well, I mean, because the thing with, with del Toro that is always so good is he puts so much intention into all of the visuals from, from palette to costume to, um, the, and, and, and to color, you know, he loves playing with color. Color plays a huge part in kind of the communicating what's going on with, uh, the characters in this film. It's, it's a film about, uh, you know, said in 1962 about, uh, the oppressed and the voiceless. And, you know, these are things that could be very ham fisted if, uh, if not dealt with in, in the right way. And, and it's, and it's a story that's a love story about a woman falling in love with a fish man. Um, and all of these are things that it seems like, well, I don't know, that's going to be tough to, to pull it off in the right tone. And he, he does it and he does it with, uh, he does it with wit. He does it with, uh, you know, a, a sense of humor and a, uh, and, and a sense of like just that Guillermo del Toro feel of, I mean, there, there are moments in it that get, you know, a little, a little violent or a little funny or a little like things that feel out of place. And it's like, oh yeah, this is, this, this is Guillermo del Toro. Of course, this is the way that he, this is purely his voice is the way that he would approach it. It's, uh, it's really good. Uh, everyone, like the entire cast is immaculate. And, um, yeah, this is another one that has just stuck in my mind, um, since seeing it. I can't wait to see it again. Is this still out in the theater? Yeah, it's out in theater. Run, don't walk. <laughs> Run, don't walk. Swim. Swim. <laughs> All right, Jake, arbitrary pick number nine, I believe, for you. What do you got? So, I, like I said, one of these was a movie I had seen before. So, I saw Mulholland Drive back when we started college, so 2005. Mm, because uh, you had to write watch, a paper on it. Because I had to write a paper on it. And I, at the time, was just like, what, what was that? Because I had never seen probably a really challenging movie up until Was this that your point. first Lynch film? Yes. And oh, so okay. I... Yeah, I was just like, I, I don't know what I don't know what just happened, and I read some explanations online. I was like, okay, I think I understand this. Yeah, and so I wrote I wrote my paper, and I caught maybe you know a couple minutes of it here or there on because they on our college's network that they would stream movies on. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, and then I hadn't touched it in you know ten twelve years. Um, so I went back and picked it up. Man, Mulholland Drive is a really great film. Yeah. I I had a I had a similar experience this year with it actually. Really? Yeah, I I wasn't quite as I guess I I don't know. It wasn't it was probably my second or third Lynch. And so I knew like I I'd, I'd seen Eraserhead before. I want to say maybe I'd seen Blue Velvet before as well. So I kind of knew what I was getting into going in, but it was still like that first time you're just trying to get your bearings. Um Watching it this year for me, I was amazed at how straightforward it was as as a narrative in comparison to some of his other stuff. I mean, there's still some bizarre stuff going on in there. Oh, you need yeah. to you need to you, you got to crack some code before you can actually figure out what's going on. But uh, once you do, man, he is a he is a great filmmaker, and yeah. and and this is a a great film. And I think I said in our um. There will be blood, no country for old men, 
uh, Civil War episode that this was on my candidate for best film of the century so far. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I, I stand by that. I don't know if it would win out over those two, uh, or No Country for Old Men, but it, it is a very, very strong entry in, in into that for me. Yeah, and and definitely, I mean, it's I'm amazed by for me how much it it evolves mm-hmm. uh, with with I think both rewatch and maturity as well, and like I think uh, this you know this time around because I hadn't seen it in it was probably my third time to watch I think, uh, but I hadn't seen it in, in several years and. Uh, yeah, it was, I was amazed at how like easy it was to unlock, even though it's still, it's still Lynchian. Like, I think that's another part of it is like, I've seen enough Lynch at this point where I know that I'm not going to get an answer to everything, but that's the exploration is the, you know, as much the part of the experience as anything else. There's nobody working quite like him. There's some people who want to try to do that thing, but it just, uh, yeah, he's the best. I, I can't tell you how hard it was to not put uh twin peaks the return on this list oh really <laughs> yeah i mean because it's it really is it's a what 18 hour film huh. uh or, or however long it is it's it's uh it's amazing and laura dern's amazing in it and everyone's amazing in it and my gosh it was that's was a an incredible experience either hmm. week to week and on like as a whole piece so much so much to to dig into um, I would recommend you you watch first Twin Peaks and then Twin Peaks: The Return. Um, they are both great. All right. Well, what is what is the last entry into your alphabetical top ten list? All right. So this is uh, I I was I was looking back and I was actually listening back to our our episode from last uh, last year and you you asked me if this film was on my discoveries list and I said yeah I think I think it is uh, but I didn't see it until early January. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess before we had recorded that that episode, so it ended up on my discoveries list for 2017, and that is a film uh, that you actually gifted to me. I think for for Christmas last year, it's so. Il, Sor- Il Sorpasso, directed yeah. by uh, Dino Rizzi, and uh, it's it's this uh, sort of madcap uh, road comedy. Um, where this this guy Bruno, um, he's just kind of driving driving all around Italy, around the city, around the countryside. Uh, he picks up this law student named Roberto and takes him on sort of this aimless adventure through the Italian countryside. And um, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. It really is, and I I just love the pace that that movie happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 is such a. I feel like it's something you want to watch on a spring day with your doors open. If yeah. that makes any sense. That, no, that's, that's a perfect explanation for like how it kind of, how it feels it's. And you know, I, I wish I knew more about Italian comedy mm-hmm. um, because it, it felt like, you know, it feels like it, it kind of sits in this weird place between, you know, neorealism and uh, more, you know, like later, lighter uh, uh, Fellini stuff. Um, for me, but it's like, I, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen, I'm sure there, there are more out there, but I've never seen an Italian comedy that kind of has this light bubbly feel to it. Um, if, if anyone out there has recommendations for more like this, please send them our way. Please let us know. Uh, it it feels like I imagine (laughs) 
Italy was just depicted back then. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, they, they just, they're not doing any work. They're just sitting there, they're just driving their cars and mm-hmm. like, I, I, but it's, it's, it's really good. And it's really worth seeing. If, if, if you've never seen it, just jump into it cold. It's, it's fun and it's got a great uh, hit song in the middle of it too. Oh yeah. That yeah. Legs akimbo or whatever it is on the subtitles. Go in with zero expectations. Just let it take you where it goes. Uh, Cause that's sort of, that's the type of film it is. Uh, but Jake, I think we are at, uh, your very last pick, your number 10 arbitrary pick. Uh, what do you got? Uh, so another, another no surprise kind of thing, but it's Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to make it out and see it on the big screen. I recently went to the World War II Museum in New Orleans and uh, spent like four hours there and only saw about half the museum. Uh, they didn't, and, and I, and every time I would get to like a section on the start of the war, I was like, are they going to talk about Dunkirk now? Is it Dunkirk time? Is it Dunkirk time? But it's really focused on more like the American role in it, but they've right. expanded it a whole lot, that museum. A hundred percent worth seeing it. it. It is fantastic. And if you love history, it's a museum that feels like it should be in Washington and not in New Orleans. It's that good of a museum. Uh, but it, it just made me remember how much I liked the experience of Dunkirk and how how great that film was and how much I can't wait to just sit down and watch it again. Yeah, Dunkirk, I only left it off because we had talked about it on the show. Um, and it's it's probably my number two for the year. Um, and I, I was a little worried about I, I bought it uh, on on Blu-ray. I was a little worried about the home the home viewing experience in comparison to, you know, the couple of times that I saw it in the theater. Uh, I think it still holds up in in home viewing. It's just it's just arresting. There's there's not a a false fake frame in it. There's so much that sticks with me visually or emotionally from that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that probably is the top for me, I'll, I'll just uh, say it's when he's flying over the beach yep. at the end. Of, yeah, that's yep. just that's the moment from that one. That's the yep. thing that stays with me. It's it's the convergence of of sound and visual and just everything. Uh, it's it's the right beat for the moment. No, it works so well. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Jake? What about honorable mentions? You got anything that didn't quite make your list, but you want to give a yeah, shout out to? Yeah, I, I got I got a few. Um, there's a documentary I called on Netflix called uh, Magnus. Uh, I don't know if you saw that about chess about the. the I think he's a Norwegian chess player, and I oh. just thought it was really fascinating look into his world and how he got to where he is, and just the kind of mind he has. I had uh, John Carpenter's Dark Star on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, almost put uh, being there as my rewatch, uh, but I loved being there the first time, and uh, still love it today. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about it one day maybe, on the show. Maybe we'll talk about it one day on the show. <laughs> uh, I, the Big Sick. Uh, uh, made made my my honorable mentions. Uh, Jerry before Seinfeld. I, I don't think a, a, a stand up set really counts as a as a movie, but this has some more elements to it that are are really interesting. And 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 you get to hear Jerry talk about himself before the show and perform some of his material from when he was uh, coming up. If you can log it on Letterboxd, it counts. Then it counts. And maybe I need to knock something off this list, to put it in there because I I really enjoyed it. And it made me kind of uh, go back and revisit a lot of uh, Jerry stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, finally, for a TV show, I put uh, FX's Legion, which I did not think was just a, a 10 out of 10 perfect show. But mm-hmm. but it was doing so many 
different and experimental things that I think it's something that you should you should watch if you have time and you and you like any kind of shows like that. Is this the Wes Anderson X Men thing? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it, it's not good enough for me to just say it's a Wes Anderson X Men thing. But at least some of the some of the choices they make are very. Uh, for framing shots and whatnot and color and, and, and yeah. all that are, are very yeah, that's, Anderson. That's what I've heard. Uh, I I've got a few honorable mentions, most from uh, previous episodes, which is why I didn't bring them up here. Dunkirk, as we said, episode 72. Um, if you want to hear my thoughts there, slow West, um, which was a great discovery uh, episode 70. Um, really, really recommend slow West. That That's kind of, kind of my McCabe and Mrs. Miller of this year. Uh, Lego Batman movie episode 60, um, an early, an early film for the year and stuck with me all the way through. Um, one of uh, still one of my favorite Batman films to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it was really good. And then, uh, beguiled Sophia Coppola's film and one of two films with Nicole Kidman and, uh, Colin Farrell this year. Uh, Lady Bird, which we spoke about the big sick, which you mentioned, which really like, uh, only gets better with with a rewatch. It's it's a near perfect film. Um so good. Uh Super Dark Times, which I recommended a while back on the show, um, which is now streaming on Netflix. So you should, so you should check it out there. Columbus, which is available on Hulu right now. Um the debut feature from Koganata, the uh kind of video essayist. He's done a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. He's done stuff for Criterion Collection. He's done probably my favorite video essay he did uh, is is what is neorealism. So so good. Uh, but his his first feature, um, very good. And then Creep Two, the follow up to the Mark Duplass film Creep, uh, which somehow like I didn't know that I needed a series out of this, but I'm totally gung ho for a Creep Three, which is apparently coming. It it really expands upon and improves upon the. Uh, the premise of, of the first creep in a really emotionally touching way. So, uh, that one's on Netflix now as well. I think. Yeah. I, I, I can I jump into it without seeing the first one? Uh, the first one's on Netflix too. So, um, I think honestly you kind of could, but I, I think you should watch the first one. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's uh, the only thing that kept me from watching this one. Cause the other day I was looking, trying, trying to, to, fill out anything I missed that I could see easily while I was sick sitting at home on the couch. And I was like, I'm watching creep two. And that's it. No, I'm not. yeah, I don't, I don't know if it would have made your list. Um, and I don't know, like it's not quite, uh, it's, it's not quite the lobster, but I don't know if it's one that Chelsea will appreciate either. <laughs> well, I was the only one sick in bed. So I think I could have, I could have watched it on my, <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm going to put my, uh, top 10 of 2017 list and discoveries of 2017 lists on letterboxd. I'll link to them in the show notes. So if you want to see those, if you want to see what I actually, uh, from the year 2017 loved, you can find that. If you want to see what I discovered, my war crimes from 2017 that I caught up with, uh, you can, you can see that as well. Um, just look for it in the show notes or, uh, search me up on the letterboxd. And I'll uh, I'll try to do the same. Send them over. Let you post mine as well. I keep a running tally of all the movies I've seen in 2017 and try to rank them. Um, leave out some of the documentaries and stuff, but um, at least all the narratives. Um, and and you can see what I saw, where I ranked it, see how embarrassingly few films I've seen this year that we didn't review, 
and uh, and and ju- just give me crap in general on it. It was a year of John Carpenter, Jake. It's okay. It was. I saw a lot of John Carpenter this year. All right, folks. Well, we've got the uh, third annual Blimpy Awards coming up next, so don't go anywhere. Get in your seat, put on your bow tie, and get it looking snazzy. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Phil in McKinney, Texas, and my favorite film of 2017 was Star Wars The Last Jedi. The film was so good that it retroactively made the other Star Wars movies better, including the prequels, although The Phantom Menace is still pretty much unwatchable. My arbitrary award that I created is the 2017 Best Terrible Film. And the best terrible film in 2017 was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. The film wanted to be good so badly, but it wasn't. It just was not a good film. Francis McDormand's performance was excellent, um, but the characters, the script, the direction were all just bad. It's really not a good film, and the fact that it's getting awards makes me kind of irate. So that's it. Happy 2018. A listener voicemail there from Phil uh, with his favorite film of 2017, Star Wars The Last Jedi, which, uh, Jake, we didn't get to in our last segment. We didn't, but I seriously considered putting the good half of that movie into my top 10 list. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it a second time, and it kind of solidified that uh, there's so much that I love and so much that didn't exactly work. I, I still want to see it the second time. I know stuff didn't work, but there was stuff that I loved in it. And 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 sometimes the love outweighs everything else. Uh, see an extended rant in our last episode of War Starts <laughs> at Midnight uh, from me for my true opinion. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's for me, it's one of those where I think it's still thematically the richest. It's just it could have used some cutting. It doesn't need to be two and a half hours. Yeah, I I, I just I I still wonder how much of it. Uh, was out of his control. And and Phil also uh, gave us a... So with the Blimpy Awards, the Blimpy Awards are always our just sort of arbitrary awards for things that we we want to uh, we want to shine some light on. Uh, we're going to name... So he, he called it the best terrible film of 2017. We're going to call this the Misguided Vision Award. So this is uh, a film that tries very hard... Uh, but just seems to miss the mark. Uh, for 2017, for me, uh, I'm giving this award to Split, the M. Night Shyamalan film, the what a lot of people are calling M. Night Shyamalan's uh, comeback. And it got a lot of buzz. Um, and I, I thought it was fine, not as asinine as a lot of Shyamalan stuff, but still, I, I didn't 
I didn't get the hype and I was really, really put off by kind of that final coda that says, oh, we're going to create a whole universe of these things, which I guess I won't spoil if you still haven't seen it, but it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, I did not see it, so don't spoil it. It's I, I will say it's worth seeing for McAvoy's performance. It just doesn't totally work for me. And it's still, it's still Shyamalan not, in my opinion, not knowing how to rein himself in completely. Is it going to ruin McAvoy for me? No, McAvoy's great. Yeah, sometimes though when you play that many characters on screen in a movie, it's like, oh, I see everything you can do. Uh, no, I, I think I think he's having fun with it, and I think he is not the problem by any means. <laughs> All right, uh, my pick for the Miss Guy Division Award was Colossal. Did you see Colossal? I didn't see Colossal. I was excited to see it, and I, I just never caught up with it. Yeah, I just didn't. It tried a lot, and I just didn't think it. It, did, it didn't meet the mark. Just something was not quite what I wanted from it, and I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a film by Nacho Vigalondo, which mm-hmm. I actually researched to make sure was not a fake name. <laughs> just like, oh, this is what we're using now uh, instead of uh, well, like when you want to disown a movie. Yeah. Um. What what was it? Smithy. Uh, Smitty. Sm- yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, I wanted to like it. I liked the premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked the first probably act or two. And then I just, it, it took a couple turns that I didn't like that much. Okay. So at the end I was just like, all right, that was a movie. All right. Well, moving on, let's, uh, let's get into, this is our first, uh, reprised award and it is the Stumpy Award. So this is an award that we are giving for best supporting actor, uh, Jake, you first. What do you got? Who you got? Uh, so I couldn't pick which Marvel villain I wanted to give this to. Uh, be, not because I have to give it to a Marvel villain, but it's just where I landed. It was either going to be Michael Keaton as the Vulture mm. or Kurt Russell as Ego. Mm. I, you pick between those, Chris. Well, who who deserves it out of those two? Well, I still haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, but you did say Michael Keaton, so... Yeah, I know. But then you said Kurt Russell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably have to go Kurt Russell just because I've been on a Kurt Russell high lately with all the Carpenter. Yeah, I looked through all all the movies, and, and those were the two main supporting actor performances that I, I really thought worked and were memorable. And uh, I, I know what you're going to pick, and I, I can't disagree with you on it, but uh, that, that was my pick. And, and, and slight edge to Kurt Russell, just because it's so hard to pull off a villain. It's so hard. And, and he, he made it work. Yeah, no, I liked him quite a bit in Guardians Volume 2. Uh, I also went with two, but I'm, I'm going with as a ensemble together, because I think they belong together in this conversation. And that's Holly Hunter and Ray Romano in the big sick. Yeah. Um, that's what I, I think I've already talked about them on the show a few times, but they are so good in this movie. I've heard people um, come out of the woodworks just to tell me Ray Romano was great in the big sick. He's, like it, he's so it's something you have sick. to take away from that movie. Yeah. But Holly Hunter as well. Holly Hunter is just as good. And she has, she has some moments that like, even even watching it a second time, knowing some of some of the like lines and jokes are coming, still made me laugh out loud. Uh, both of them are are so very good. I mean, when when she goes off on the guy in the uh, in the club for for mm-hmm. calling Kumail a terrorist, and then and then he kind of has his thing as well, where he kind of uh, you know comes unhinged a little bit. Romano does. They're they're both like peak 
there. But yeah, they, they feel like real fleshed out parents. I think that's partially, you know, has to go to the screenwriting between Kamel and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, but also their performances are just so solid. So I, I have no quarrels with giving it to the both of them for this one award. I didn't know I wanted to see Ray Romano act more. I didn't know that was a thing I was going to want one day, and now that's what I want. <laughs> well, you should watch vinyl just for that, maybe, if you're, uh, you know, also want to see Mick Jagger's son act and some stuff that does work and doesn't work. It's a, it's kind of a mixed bag. Okay. Or or if you want to see the guy, uh, the convenience store guy in uh, No Country for Old Men play, uh, I want to call him Colonel Sanders, but that's not, who was Elvis's manager? Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah, there you go. He plays Colonel Tom Parker in an episode. That's pretty good. <laughs> Jake's going to know some Elvis trivia. Damn <laughs> right course. I'm going to know some Elvis trivia. <laughs> yeah, I knew you could pick me up there. Um, okay, <laughs> coming up next, we've got the Wilhelm Award. So this is uh, an award for our favorite guilty pleasure of the year. And mine is, it's a film that I think I recommended earlier in the year. Uh, it's called Becoming Bond. It's a documentary directed by uh, Josh Greenbaum. And it is basically George Lazenby, the uh, the one man who has only played James Bond once in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's basically him telling his his life story and the story of how he became, went from being basically an auto mechanic to being James Bond. But um, in a very sort of, uh, there's, there's, there's not a lot of fact checking going on with this, I guess it's, it's his version of the events and it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. I, I you, you did recommend that cause I, I've been really excited to see it. I just haven't, haven't gotten around to actually doing it yet. Yeah. It's a, if you need a light watch on Hulu, some, uh, you know, like Saturday afternoon, uh, you could, you could do much worse. Um, for, for my guilty pleasure this year, you mentioned it as an honorable mention. I don't know how guilty it is, but I don't have a child. So when I'm just sitting around watching Lego Batman movie, maybe that's not how I should be spending my time as an adult. I've also rewatched the Lego movie this year. That whole franchise gets the Wilhelm award for me. Um, the Lego Batman movie has been watched three or four times in the past month in this household. So (laughs) no guilt at all. It's so, it's so, it, it has the right perspective on that franchise to be fun. Yeah. That franchise is so versatile. It can be so dark or so entertaining. Yeah. Just, just whatever, whatever you want to do with Batman, it can be done. And, and this is just proof of it. And also that Lego franchise, I will never watch Lego Ninjago, but as long as they do <laughs> properties that I want to see, I, I will, I will see the Lego movies. I'll, I'll see Lego Ninjago eventually, I think. But, yeah, you, uh, you have a child. You have a small boy in your house. You're going to have to see Lego Ninjago movie probably 40 more times. He's going to like it more than Lego Batman movie because that's how that's how the world works. All right. What's what's our next award, Jake? Uh, the Didn't See That Coming Award. That is the surprise of the year. Chris, what do you have? Well, mine is not a film, but it's actually uh, going back to episode 69 where we did a Civil War battle between Alien and Aliens with uh, the Wayward Warrior Hunter Cates. Uh, it's, it is Hunter Cates voting on the side of alien along with us in, in that showdown. I was utterly shocked thought going in. There's no way, there's no way he's going to budge off of aliens, which is such a Hunter Cates sort of movie. And somehow we brought him around and it really surprised me and delighted me. And, uh, that is a, that is a really fine episode folks. If, uh, you haven't heard it episode 69 back in the archives, uh, we, we go all through alien and aliens, and uh, we had a whole lot of fun. Yes. Yes. Speaking of a lot of fun, uh, my pick was Spider-Man Homecoming, a movie that I did not expect to like. 
I I I heard that it was supposed to be pretty good, so I went and saw it. But it had I, Michael I, Keaton, it, and it had Michael Keaton. But you know, anything can happen with those. And I was like, I don't know about this new Spider Man guy, and very very surprised with it. Ended up liking it quite a lot. Um, so so that 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 was my main surprise of the year. You said you still haven't seen this. I still haven't seen it. I need to. It's just like it it came at a time when I was not getting to the theater at all. And I just haven't, I just haven't caught up yet. I need to, I need to run it. Yeah. And, and it's not that this is just a, a 10 out of 10, but it it's way better than I expected. And it's a bit of a different direction for the franchise. And I like to see, I, I want to see where it's going. Let me ask this. A lot of times for me, the Marvel movies, apart from uh, Captain America, first Avenger, Captain America, Civil War, um, the, the, Marvel movies are not ones that I really want to rewatch. Is this one that you think merits a rewatch or is this just one that's, it's enjoyable and you move on? Uh, It's, I mean, it, they're, they're a little, they're like episodes of TV. You don't always want to go back and rewatch them. Okay. Um, Okay. But, but there were things I liked here, but it's not something I'm clamoring to see again. Like I am some of those Captain America movies that I really did like. Okay. So uh, what do we have up next, Chris? We have the silver screen, silver lining, and this is the best thing about an otherwise underwhelming film. And uh, I, I'm going with Halloween 2 on this one. So uh, as I had mentioned on The Carpenter Shop, I had never seen Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Halloween 18, Michael Myers, Revenge. Um, like I just I stopped at Halloween because Halloween was all I needed. And, but because we've been, we've been going through the carpenter stuff, I was like, okay, well, the, the Halloween three soundtrack is really good. Um, so maybe I should get there. And so I watched Halloween three and it was really great. And then I watched Halloween two and it was not really great. It's not a very good movie. It's a, it's a weird impersonation of the original. Uh, but for my silver screen, silver lining award, I'm giving it to the fate of Ben Tramer. So Ben (laughs) Tramer is, is the guy that Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of flirting with on the phone, going to go to a dance with him. Um, well, it turns out that they never made it to the dance because something happens to him in this film. I won't say what, but something. And it comes out of nowhere, and it's kind of wonderful. All right. Uh, so I, I had a really tough time picking. I ended up landing with a John Carpenter thing as well. But first, I'm going to tell you my runner-up is from Oakja. It was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Johnny Wilcox. <laughs> just, just a fanta- fantastic role that I makes that Johnny Wilcox. Can I, can I go back on my <laughs> stumpy award? <laughs> I'm kidding, but only slightly. I, I, thought, I thought about it. I, I, I really did. Because that, that was just... I, I know he's just loving playing that role. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, but my actual pick which is going to make people mad for calling it an underwhelming film, but it's everything about Napoleon Wilson from Assault on Precinct 13. I I can't disagree with you there. I do disagree with you a little bit because you didn't watch it in black and white, as you should. (laughs) I I didn't watch it in black and white. You're right. But was Napoleon Wilson not awesome? Didn't you want to just see more of him? He was great. I would watch a a whole Napoleon Wilson film. Well, some people say that's what, uh, what, what Snake Plissken is. He's just kind of a very similar mold and and that's what you would get and i'm fine with that all right jake this next award you named so you uh introduce it the saul about that bass award for best poster of the year so i think i might have even mentioned this last year when we talked about it but it's the poster for kong skull island 
I knew that was going to be your pick. I love that. I, knew it. I love that poster. Didn't even see the movie, and I just want to hang the poster in my house. <laughs> I, I love it. It, it. it sums up everything Kong Skull Island should be. I don't need to see the movie because I saw an amazing poster. I see you've also got an honorable mention here. Jake. Yeah, it was that terrible Spider-Man Homecoming poster. <laughs> I loved it. It was it was awful. It was the fact that a human being let that leave was they had a they had a pretty good poster, which was Spider-Man laying down in that yellow like hoodie st- right. by the New York. That was pretty good. And then they said, you know, what the real poster is going to be terrible. Floating We're going to put out a everywhere. terrible poster. And they did. And they did not back off of it. It's just an awful clip our mess first time photoshopping every anything in your life and i like it i mean i like how bad it is it looks like the dvd art when a movie really bombs and they're like oh gosh we need to put everyone that's in it on the cover (laughs) so that like even if grandma's like oh i love michael keaton she knows that michael keaton's in it and she's gonna it's trying so hard to get you to see a movie that you're gonna see because it says spider-man on the cover like yeah. they they had you at Spider Man. They need to show one thing on the cover, and it's like here's everything. It's terrible. So for me, I've got a couple honorable mentions here as well. The Last Jedi teaser that's like Luke and and Ray and and kind of harkens back to that really old Star Wars uh, design. Um, that's really a, mm-hmm. a wonderful poster. And then the second Baby Driver poster, the ensemble poster, the pink one. Um, is really solid, really oh, good. Oh, see, I like the one where he's driving out of the gun and the tire tracks are sound waves. Yeah, see, that one doesn't do as much for me. Really? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't do as much. They're both good, but I, I do really like that ensemble poster. Yeah, that, that poster's great. Um, but I'm giving mine to the, I think it was a teaser uh, poster as well for Good Time. This is the, the poster where Robert Pattinson is crawling out of like a Sprite bottle. Um, and it, the, the, thing that other than like it's just a great looking poster is it kind of gives you just in a visual what the feel of the movie is um and i i love when a poster can kind of give you you know set you in the the right mindset of sort of what you're what you're in for yes like kong skull island uh which neither of us saw so maybe it does but uh who knows there you don't need to see it that's the great thing about a great poster all right up next is the armand white award where our opinions differ from critical or public consensus chris do you want to go first i I mean mine's no surprise so sure it's it's king arthur legend of the sword this movie's on hbo right now why aren't you watching this movie go watch this movie i'm turning (laughs) in jake now no but king arthur legend of the sword it's so much fun and in places, it's so well made. And in other places, it's, well, kind of a mess. But that's, it's fine. It's a it's a movie that shouldn't exist, but I'm glad it does. You want me over, I'm going to go watch it now. My Do Arm it. and White Award goes to Logan, which kind of sucked. No, it didn't. I have four better superhero movies this year than Logan. How can it be the fifth? It's not that it kind of sucked. That's maybe an overstatement. But people who are like, this is the best superhero film since The Dark Knight. No, it's not. It's uh, no, it's, it's not different. It's it's totally different criteria. Like, I, I think and I mean, I think a lot of those people are also probably folks who have, you know, think about how much time we've spent with that that Logan character with Wolverine. Like, yeah, it's it is a great send off to him. I I like it quite a bit. Like, it didn't it didn't crack my top ten, but I think it's a solid film. But you also don't like Shane, so maybe <laughs> maybe that's where this is all stems from. I I guess it it so maybe it's because I went to this stupid movie tavern that showed it kind of out of focus. 
<laughs> Literally, it was just kind of out of focus, and I I just never I never got sucked into it, and and that maybe that's why I thought it sucked. I didn't think it and sucked is the wrong word, but I had some high expectations for it. I watched some trailers, things that I wanted to happen didn't happen. I read the the um comic graphic or novel graphic yeah. novel. And uh, I liked it so much better that it just kind of unlocked like a, it could have been these things and it wasn't. And it could have had, you know, focus on these sort of things and it didn't. That's a tough letdown to to get over. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also this is the second film in this award series that I watched in black and white and liked better. So maybe there's something there. I like the idea that you just keep like a broken TV that that is your <laughs> magic black and white TV. You just play stuff on its high contrast black and white and you just love it. All right, Jake, we have arrived at the very last Blimpy Award, and this is the one that Hunter Cates uh, invented last year, and I liked it so much that I said we're going to keep it around, and this is the That Made Me Itchy Award. Uh, this is something that you just couldn't stand about a film, in a film, of an entire film, whatever, of 2017. Uh, so looking at this, do we have the same pick? How can you not have the same pick on this one? You watch the movie. It's it's so it's so itchy. It's, uh, Jim Carrey in Jim and Andy: Jim Colin, Carey. The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. Um, he's just. Ooh, what was the we, part that did it the most for you? That just made you just not even want to look at the screen. Um, when he tried to get really deep and philosophical, and it just. <sighs> wasn't and to be honest i i went back after that and then watched that norm mcdonald interview that, yeah. that you mentioned and so some of that stuff has kind of blended for me a little bit yeah but, um the norm mcdonald ones it's rough where he's just like you got to drink this drink this drink makes you and i'm like what is he talking about <laughs> the it's, best part of the norm mcdonald interview in my depression. opinion maybe maybe i yeah the, the depressed is deep rest and norm's just like yeah, man. <laughs> Maybe that's just like the word. <laughs> it the the thing that the thing that made me cringe the most in that movie was when he was dealing with with uh, Jerry Lawler, the the mm-hmm. wrestler, mm-hmm. and 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 Jerry Jerry the King Lawler is just like you know Andy Kaufman was really nice to me Offset. Yeah, it was like it a, seems like such a mean like just unnecessarily. That's I I think that's the thing for me is it it seems like something that Jim felt he really needed to do and maybe no one else did. Like it didn't need to be that tough on everyone. And so it's, it's such a self a narcissistic sort of thing. Like, I don't, I don't think there are many people who Daniel day Lewis works with who are just like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's doing Lincoln again. Like <laughs> it's, you know, I get that it is, you know, a little inconvenient that you have to talk to Abraham Lincoln for a few months or whatever, but it's not the same thing. It's not like this. And, you know, I, I just, I, I didn't put Phantom Thread on this list because I just saw it yesterday, but it has not escaped my mind since. And watching through, I, I, you know, was thinking about it because it's hard with, Daniel Day Lewis announcing that he's retiring, not thinking about like, okay, what about this? You made him, pushed him, and I can see like it's a it's a character who's kind of manic depressive, and I can see how like putting yourself in that space would be a really tough thing to do. But I've also you know heard a couple of seen a couple interviews with 
PTA. And there's nothing where he's like, oh, yeah, he was just insufferable on set because you didn't know what, you know, if you were going to get the happy or the sad or the what, like he's, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is a professional where Jim Carrey is like, he's, I think there, there might be some mental health things going on there. Yeah, I thought the same thing. The worst stuff to watch in that movie for me is where it's like Andy's brother and parents and all these people came by and I talked to him as Andy and helped him get you did that. You yeah. kept you kept that up around his loved ones. Yeah, yeah. It it mm. just like it's I mean and and it's the performances are good. It's not you know, it's not a criticism of that. It's just at what at what cost. And then whenever Whenever he's in the interview segment, when he's talking about like there is no Andy, um, he gets into gets into that that whole thing, um, and then and then whenever he mentions like maybe I should maybe I should be Jesus for a while, um, yeah, that was where like if that wasn't like five minutes left in the documentary, I'd be like okay, I've had enough of you. <laughs> this like, is all I can watch of this guy. Like he. I I don't know. He is he is not a person that I ever want to meet after after watching that. No, he that he's a talent. He's a great talent, and he gives great performances. But that's about the end of the list of things I can say good. No, it definitely. Like I I couldn't even fathom coming up with something itchier than than him. Like he he definitely takes the cake for the year and maybe for the decade for me. Really, <laughs> because it's a documentary that made it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, that's the other thing. It's the compounding of both the documentary footage of him doing it on the set of uh, of Man on the Moon, and then the interview footage of him like doubling down on the crazy. And that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Or say hello on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAMPod. If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to an Apple podcast or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or, if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. And shout out to Generationals for the featured music on this week's show. Find more at generationals.com. Join us in another fortnight for another episode of The Carpenter Shop, our ongoing exploration of director John Carpenter's colossal canon. This time we're discussing his A number one post-apocalyptic action picture, Escape from New York as well as its slightly less cherished sequel, Escape from L.A. Pick up Escape from New York in a limited edition Steelbook Blu-ray from Scream Factory and catch Escape from L.A. streaming on Stars. Thanks for listening, folks. See you around, kid. <laughs> <laughs>